0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Wednesday, folks, Wednesdays, me and Greg Wachinski from ESPN, MVSW, one more time. Hello, Wish. You know, sometimes the show is uh,
0: perfectly timed, and then there are other times when there's yes. a slight conflict. Maybe I'm, I'm out of practice that I have to rush home from. Maybe I have to put, a, put aside that salad I'm building to talk to you. Never has there oh. been a conflict like this before, where as we're doing the show, I might find out if Aaron yeah. Rodgers is my quarterback next season for the New York football Jets. <laughs> is,
1: this, is this distressing for you,
0: Wish? <laughs> well, would the you whole need thing to, is you need a darkness retreat? I ain't trying to make this a, a football po- a, 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 like, radio show, um, and it won't be. Yeah. But I, I will say that like, I, I've never been more conflicted as a, as a football fan than I am in this Aaron Rodgers business. Because, like, on the one hand, the Jets were one competent quarterback away running that offense from being a playoff team, potentially even being a division champion last season. On the other hand, from what I gather, one of the conditions on Aaron Rodgers becoming the New York Jets quarterback is, I need all my old friends to replace the good young players that you have. (laughs) So it's like, uh, there's a (laughs) a certain uh, Hulk Hogan, hey, let's sign the Nasty Boys to impact wrestling thing happening right now. And I... I don't know how I feel about that. Besides the whole "he's a kook who might be cooked" kind of thing that also surrounds the current incarnation of Aaron
1: Rodgers. <laughs> do, well, yeah, it's 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 always been an interesting sports question as well. Um, do you care if you like your team and the players on it as long as they win? Now, I've always wondered about this with teams that have had various you know hated players on their squad. Like, do you essentially care? If you like the players, or like what's more important to you, having a likable team or having a successful team, like the Blue Jays last year, I'll just personalize this. Blue Jays were a lot of fun last year. They were a fun team. You know, home run. You know, the dugout was explosive. Um, you know, people are making you know fruit cocktails on the bench as the game is going on. <laughs> um, you know, the barrio jacket, the whole deal. Like it was a fun team. They didn't do anything, right? And they got humiliated by Seattle, but it was a fun team. This year it is going to be a much more serious squad defensively, the outfield, you know, looks like a murderer's row and it should be a better capital T team. I just don't know if it's going to be as fun to go to the ballpark other than at the end of 9 innings the Blue Jays are going to lose a win a lot more than they lose. It is the uh, the the eternal sports question. Do you care if your team is likable? At all, I think there's. I think that there is a difference in
0: likability and that evaluation on the field, court, ice versus off. So, like as a Mets fan, I wasn't crazy about them signing Bobby Bonilla, and that obviously became a a much uh, maligned disaster <laughs> for the organization financially. If the Devils ever still signed, paying.
1: still paying, yeah,
0: still paying. If the Devils ever signed Sean Avery during the peak of his powers, I probably wouldn't have been happy about that. And that kind of gets you a little bit closer Mm -hmm. to the the off-the-ice thing. But your question can be answered with the 2022-23 Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I'm a Nets fan going back to the days in New Jersey. My first games were when Buck Williams was on the team. Uh, I was at the Drazen Petrovic jersey retirement ceremony after he— lost his life in an auto accident like i i go back a ways with this franchise i stopped watching the games because of kyrie irving like i couldn't do it like the anti-science thing was one bridge and then the anti-semitic thing was a bridge too far and that was the first time in my life that even if i didn't really like the players on the teams i followed there's the first time in my life i had to say no games on television, no games in attendance, even though I live a scant like walkability to the arena now that I live in Brooklyn. No jerseys, no t-shirts, no nothing. I am, I am disassociating myself with this franchise until this player no longer plays for the team, and now he doesn't. And now they're in fifth place, and now I can like the Nets again.
1: <laughs> and I, I always wondered, too, um, and we saw this with, uh, well, we saw this with Yager when Yager first came back and there was all the talk that he was going to the Pittsburgh Penguins and it was celebrations and you know sunshine and lollipops and 68 is back and isn't this great and then you know you mentioned pro wrestling off the top there's the big heels swerve, and he goes to Philadelphia <laughs> Yeah, and how quickly you can learn to hate everything that you once loved um, we got a lot to get to here um, I, but that is that is interesting about Rodgers and I, I understand your pain um general managers meeting wrapping up in florida here's my question to you greg wachinski if you had the ability to raise one issue at the managers meeting if you had the ability to show up as team 33 team wachinski and this is our Mm. issue we'd like to put on the agenda do you have one? I have one, and it's like it's it's a rule changey thing. But do you have one thing that you would be happy to stand up in front of everybody and make a case for?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's also a rule changey thing, and it's also a video review thing. Uh, we we need to stop with the offside thing. We need to stop. Like we don't have to go as far as our friend Dmitry Filipovich wants to go and get rid of offside. Although I do think there can be a discussion about it in 2023. Okay. But we all have to come to come to the conclusion that the grand experiment started by Mr. Matthew Shane's Titanic offside, in which he was a country mile of the blue line, (laughs) that that experiment has failed and that we have become a sport of counting pixels around skate blades and blue lines. We have become a sport where an offside that happens two and a half minutes before a goal is scored nullifies uh, several offensive and defensive plays that happened afterwards I know that it is a very difficult thing, Merrick, to stuff the genie back in a bottle. It's a very difficult thing to go to your fans and say, this infraction that we felt was so important that we're going to waste time on using video review to see whether or not it occurred, we're going to return back, that back to the realm of human error. And that's going to be a really tough argument to make because the first time that there's an offside play that's not called, you're going to have millions of fans blaming the National Hockey League for rolling back this rule. But ultimately, I think that we as mature adults and amongst my 32 peers in this league as the general manager of the Houston Jesters, I don't know, sounded good at the time. (laughs) um, We can all agree... That this offside <laughs> experiment with video review yeah. is a failure and we need to roll it back.
1: Okay, I agree with you about a bajillion percent. I look at offsides the same way that I look at things like dump-ins from behind center or over center. Close enough is good enough for me. The egregious ones are what you know offsides are really meant to prevent. If it's close enough, I'm fine with it. But here's, here's the wrinkle. And here's why I don't think they'll even try to put the toothpaste back in the bottle. Gambling. When you have cozied up to gambling companies, as all sports have, the pressure to, quote-unquote, get the call right because there is actual money on the line will never allow a sports league to pull back even a fraction because of what's on the line, agree or disagree. I think it's the presence of gambling that won't allow them to go back on this.
0: I, I understand what you're saying. insofar so far as like rolling back something into the realm of, of human error, once it's been Vagueness something that's and human been human error or
1: interpretation. No. Yes.
0: I completely, yes. I completely agree that, that that is a tough argument to make and it, and it becomes tougher because of, of sports wagering and the legalization and the widespread nature of it. My counter argument to that is two words, and you can take them in either order football American or American football. Either way, that is my counter argument because the biggest, most impactful moments in a National Football League game, including in the final moments of a Super Bowl, are human error. And, and, and guess who still bets on football? Everyone still bets on football. <laughs> so I think there is yep. something to be said for the fact that if there is human error on a play, while it is going to be hard to roll it back, you know, considering you're going from what is assumed to be a precise ruling on a play, even though I think we can all agree that sometimes the reviews aren't as precise as they'd want, uh, back to human error, I will uh-huh. say that the most popular wagering sport in America, in Canada, not the world, obviously, but in North America, I'd say I'd say uh, is rife mm-hmm. with human error to the point where it's expected that you're going to get screwed out of some money at some point.
1: Uh, I would love it if they got rid of the um, if they got rid of that review, if they got rid of the offside review. And again, I'm willing, very much willing, as you all know, to have the conversation about getting rid of offsides. To me, it's it, to me, it's not so much a <clears throat> officiating issue as much as it is a rink size issue and hear, hear me out on this one please I think the NHL has missed out in the, in the, in the last wave you know going back I guess maybe to nationwide in, in Columbus uh, during the last wave of manu- of making new rinks, new buildings, new arenas, I think the NHL missed out on an opportunity to move things forward by op by making it mandatory that every arena has the capacity and the ability to open up the sides of the rink should the NHL deem it necessary like mm. we're stuck with 200 by 85 right it's going nowhere and it's very expensive to change it thank you very much because the NHL did not mandate hey you Columbus, hey, you, Pittsburgh, hey, you, Edmonton, hey, you, Seattle, you need to be able to have the ability to expand the rink at a moment's notice. Now, so you're stuck with the 200 by 85. By the way, the 200 by 85, you know when that started? I'm going to put on my Society for International Hockey Research hat here (laughs) where (laughs) Greg does the trumpet sound. It goes, there we go. Um, That started in Nineteen twenty nine thirty. Hmm. Now there were a couple of buildings then that were smaller, and we think of Boston, we think of Chicago, and the later the, the later Buffalo at the uh, old and lovely auditorium. Oh, we love the odd. Um, but this goes back to twenty nine thirty, and since then the game was quicker, faster, athletes stronger, bigger, all of it. We all know that, and we've had an official, by the way. We've put another person on the ice, body on the ice, yeah. Um. So. I look at this as if you're not going to be able to make the ranks even a little bit bigger, I don't think it should be longer, maybe just a little bit wider, not the 200 by 100 double IHF standard, but something closer to the Finnish model in the early, like some like 92, 200 by 92, somewhere like that, just a little bit wider, a little more space to the outside. If you can't do that, what can you do? Well, maybe you can get rid of some of the boxes that we're far- forcing players to play in right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I look at things like offsides and the blue line, essentially, and say, if we're not going to make the rinks bigger, we have this 200 by 85, and that's the only, you know, that's the only sheet we can draw on right now. This is the only canvas we can use. How do we make more ice available to players? To me, the way is get rid of the blue lines. Thought on that one.
0: I, I don't I don't disagree and, I, and I, I've come around to the idea of of the fundamental change that would happen kind of being an exciting one because I, I, I think time that you can add layers of strategy and planning to the game it makes it more interesting and the idea that you're going to have teams that might if let's say you have the best penalty kill in the league right why wouldn't you okay. play four on five in your own zone and have somebody floating at center ice waiting for an outlet pass. Like if you're con- if you're convinced that your four can handle their five more often than not, if they can do it 88% of the time, like why wouldn't you just have a floater mm. at the red line ready to go if if there's no offside, there's no two line passengers, no nothing no nothing. Or actually not at the red line, but like inside the other zone, I should say. Um like why not, right? But the thing about Yeah, um yeah, the thing about the offside though, is that we we can pilot program it. Um and by that I mean I don't think that anyone in this league right now, whether it's a GM, an owner, someone in the NHL offices, a fan, a coach, a player, no one will be able to make a convincing argument to me that offside should exist in overtime. Like, what is the argument? Like, what could you possibly say that is going to tell me and convince me that in a circus act gimmick... (laughs) That is designed simply to produce a goal (laughs) so we don't have to go to the shootout, which stinks. Why would you try to do everything you can to facilitate that? And offside inherently does not facilitate that. It prevents offensive plays from being attempted Mm -hmm. and completed. So why it exists in overtime is one of the most baffling things in the National Hockey League right now. And if you wanted a pilot program, what hockey might look like without offside, do it in this weird three-on-three vacuum you've created uh, in overtime.
1: You know where you can do it? You can do it in the league where they used to try things. The guinea pig league. The American Hockey League. Yep. Yep. Right? They used to, like, the, the the American Hockey League used to be this, like, really cool, and it's a lot, like, I, I understand that some things you just can't yeah. because you're calling players up and you want them used to the rules that you use in the NHL and not have to break habits that you develop in the American Hockey League that you have to break when you join the parent club in the, in the NHL. I understand that, but... The America, I was talking to someone in the AHL about this not too long ago. He said, you know, we used to be kind of this cool league where they tried stuff and mm-hmm. there was something new every year, even something as simple as mandatory visors or things like, you know, the shootout. I mean, that was first tried at the American Hockey League level and it was five shooters, et cetera. Like, we tried things here at this league. He said, he said to me, the problem with our league right now, even though the AHL don't look now, but... Uh, AHL teams are no longer lost leaders for organizations. Like it's oh, actually no. a really healthy league, and the it's, two healthiest teams, the two healthiest teams are Coachella Valley and Henderson. They'll yep. probably end up one and two in revenues. This year. It's, yep. they, the, what has happened to the AHL financially is a great story, it's sitting right there. Yep. Yep. Um, but he said we used to be creative and we used to try things. Like to your point, the pilot projects. He said we don't do that anymore. So to your idea, which, is, which really makes a lot of sense, if you're using the three-on-three three to produce a goal, why do you have blue lines? Because right now, if there's not a scoring chance, what do you see? Neutral zone regroup. Why? Yeah. Just yeah. get rid of the blue lines. Just get Just rid of Just get them. rid of the blue lines for the, now, for the overtime. I could not agree more. Before we get to your pick, because I don't think you've made it yet. <laughs> I, was, I, I do I think haven't. that the
0: AHL guinea pig league thing is an important point. Do you think they've stopped experimenting because they genuinely like where the game is right now? We're, you know, we're hitting our offensive marks. We're, we're setting scoring records, uh, having average goals per game higher than than they've been yeah. since the mid-90s. Like, it feels like that there isn't that spirit of experimentation that we used to see from the NHL when they were scrambling and scratching and clawing and trying to find ways to increase scoring. It kind of feels like we're fat and happy right now, and we no longer need – we no longer have to go to the AHL and be like, okay, this season – no sticks you're you're all playing with deli salami like that doesn't happen anymore
1: <laughs> deli salami <laughs> you know i don't think that i don't think that it's i don't think it's because of the american hockey league like dave andrews was a very progressive you know yeah. president and ceo of the american hockey league for a lot of years i've always said you know dave andrews is the best general manager the nhl never had um, and he was a really progressive guy and he put out a lot of fires and he fought a lot of battles and he kept this thing going and whether it was, you know, the merger with the Iowa, well, it really was a merger. They absorbed teams from the international league. I mean, that was a, such a huge challenge and that's part of Dave Andrews legacy, but also trying different things that ended up graduating into the NHL. I think the problem ex- not problem. I think the issue exists more from the NHL's point of view that, to your point, they probably feel like this game is fine and they don't have to R&D anything. I mean, the American League would react and have conversations with the National Hockey League all the time, and, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Do you care to try it at the American Hockey League level? I just don't think the nature, I just don't think that those conversations are happening anymore. And I don't think it's because, you know, Scott Housen is buttoned down conservative and doesn't want to try it. Unlike his predecessor and Dave Andrews, I think it's because the NHL just doesn't see anything that they want to try right now. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. Agree sure. or disagree? No, I agree. I agree. So here's mine. Here, here's mine. I think you and I have had this conversation before and I've always maintained this. Okay. Let me give you a little backstory. I never played in the National Hockey League, Greg Wyszynski. I'm a failed, failed <laughs> hockey player. I'm one of many thousands of failed hockey players. But it's a pretty cool thrill that I get to still work in and around hockey, that somehow this is a career for me, that somehow I get to, you know, talk about icings and offsides. And every two weeks, a paycheck shows up. And I can—I swear I can hear in the background someone yelling, stop, thief, stop, thief.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I've always wanted to do something in hockey. Okay. And it's not going to be on the ice. It ain't going to be playing. So I've always wanted to have some type of impression. Leave, do something for the game that I can look at and see. I had some, I had some input there. Or maybe you know the kernel of an idea started here and then graduated, so I can look back and say, "Look, I actually did something." Because now, now you mean something? You mean
0: something? Hold on, you mean something besides creating the coolest All Star Game that ever happened, right? You mean something like more palpable? Well, there,
1: there, 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 there was that, and that'll live on the wiki forever in, in digital stone. I get that, and that's something I'm still very proud of. And every time the All Star Game rolls around. I'm always reminded of my favorite tweet, which is "Sorry for wrecking the All-Star Game, guy." <laughs> um, as my <laughs> as my wife always reminds me, um, and you know Claire, how, how funny she mm-hmm. is, she says, uh, "You don't do anything, Jeff." All you do is talk about things that other people did. And she's right. I don't do anything. I talk about things that Connor McDavid did last night. And hey, it was funny. The Hawks were chanting overrated to the Bruins last night. i got to mention that on my show. It's not really doing anything, right? So I've always wanted to get a rule change. Okay. I've always wanted to change a rule. I always wanted to point to something and say, like, hey, you know what? Kernel of that or part of that was from this conversation that I had either here or various podcasts or TV appearances, whatever. My shorthanded goals idea, Mm. I will never let go of. Okay. And for those that haven't heard it before, it goes like this. And it's all predicated on the idea of hockey is a game of momentum and momentum changes and momentum swings. And what we have in the NHL right now is called... Fraudulently, a penalty kill. There is no such thing as a penalty kill. No one kills a penalty. You endure a penalty. Player goes off for two minutes, uh, two minutes for slashing. There's nothing you can do to kill that penalty. It is a misnomer. You endure that penalty. You try to block shots, ice the puck, whatever you have to do until two minutes expires. You endure that penalty as a team. Yeah. My idea is that you actually create a penalty kill. If your team scores shorthanded, the penalty is over. You have effectively killed it and created an instant, instant momentum swing from one team to the other. And if it happens at home, holy smokes. And you know a team like Vegas will, like, darken the lights and spotlight on the penalty box as the door opens and the players all point to the penalty box and the player comes, like... You can really turn it into a big show. That would be the issue that I raise. Call it frivolous, but that would be the one that I raise.
0: Um, would you Would
1: you partner
0: that with with what's always been a pet project of mine, which is um, going back to the two minute major?
1: You want a two minute major? So go, go back to the old style uh, pre Montreal Canadians nineteen fifty. Yeah, power before
0: play. before Montreal ruined it um i've been a huge fan of of going back to the two minute the two minute major like i i yeah. just think that first of all you know ma- it's, make 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 a team make a team feel pain for its infraction uh second of all like if mm-hmm. you really want to you know continue to increase scoring put the spotlight on your best players you know who's going to be out there for the power play you know who's going to be scoring those goals you know what Edmonton can do like the idea that we we shouldn't um, give those those stars the maximum amount of time to convert as many times as they can in a two-minute span, to me, I think that makes too much sense for the league at this point. But if you partner it with your idea, yeah. then I think it becomes a little bit more palatable because I do I do believe that, you know, it's a hard sell for a lot of fans to think about what would happen if you gave the Oilers a full two minutes, you know, three or four times a game to score as many goals as possible on the power play. I think, I think, I think a lot of fans wouldn't be down mm. with that. And I also think that there's probably some hesitation that there's a deleterious effect on penalty calls in particular. If the end result is the other team gets two minutes to score as many goals as they watch. That being said, it also would change the complexion of games late in games when our friends, the referees, who you and I have always differed our opinions on, uh, would hand out a penalty to the team that is trailing, <laughs> and all of a sudden that two-goal deficit becomes a tie game in the matter of two minutes.
1: Yeah. So I think your chocolates to my peanut butter on this one. So I, I think this is I, – I, th- I think and, – and, here, and here's why. I want to go back to your idea of the two-minute major – because it has been such a hockey thing to isolate when one team has what they feel is an unfair advantage, so they change it. And you know I'm going to talk about trapezoids here, right? Mm-hmm. At that time, there were a couple of goalies that could really handle the puck. We always say Marty Berdur, but there was another Marty who could really handle the puck too, and that was Marty Turco. It was the two Martys. The reason we have the illegal area to play the puck is because of the two Martys. Marty Berdour... And marty turco it's almost it, it, the history of this game has been oh, it's unfair. This team is really good at something let's try to level the playing field. It shouldn't be fair that they have this one unique skill let's try to nullify that. I can't stand it. i've never yeah. liked it, and to your yeah. point, the two minute major was killed because that was automatic game over when the Montreal Canadiens had like you know, would would throw you know the hall of fame essentially they would have right. hall of famers on the ice that would that would that would just kill you because they had a 2 minute uh 2 minute man advantage so i'm with you i'm happy to go back 2 minute major good with it but let's do the real penalty kill as well you score a short there is one manager by the way have i told you this there's one manager yep. that no matter and it's, and it's every single night and it's hilarious who texts me and uh, whenever this shorthanded goal scored and all I get the text penalty should be over. <laughs> Penalty should be right on board. With this. I don't know if this is ever, but like it's, it's like it's clockwork. It's clockwork. Penalty should be over. Penalty should be over. Penalty should be over. I'm just hoping this person <laughs> um, can finally raise this issue. And who knows? Maybe it already has been and people have, you know, shoved it off to the, uh, to the wayside. But I would love to get that one, uh, get that one through. I would be happy. And yeah. even I would put it this way I would consider retiring. And go look for work elsewhere. I'll go apply at the post office. I understand they're busy, middle to late December. Um, mm-hmm. I'd go work anywhere else, maybe if I could get. I'd really have the conversation with my wife. You know what? Maybe I've done all I can here. I've finally achieved something to Claire's criticism. I've finally done something. Maybe it's time to do something else now. If I can. Get so you hear message. that, Canada? So if, if you, you want to get rid Jeff of me, retire, NHL. If, you, if the NHL yeah. wants to get rid of me on the media landscape, <laughs> right. just enact this rule. And I'm Gonzo.
0: My, friend, my friends in Canada, if you want Jeff you to retire, please reach out to your local general manager's office. <laughs> um, <laughs> flood their switchboards. Let them know what they yeah. need to do in order to make that happen.
1: Oh, by the way, uh, I got a note here from our producer, Matt Marchese. Uh, Tell Wish that Aaron Rodgers says he wants to play for the Jets and the Packers are digging in their heels on compensation.
0: Mm hmm. Okay. so there you go. So so it comes back to the fact that uh, we have to trade for Aaron Rodgers and that they aren't going to let him go for free and they're going to (laughs) hold up the Jets for as much as they can get from them. Um, I, I, you know, I wish we could just Timo Meyer this and give them a bunch of B-level prospects and and just get the thing done. Um, But I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. (laughs) They have something we want and they know that we want it. And that's never a good position to be in if you're the Jets.
1: Um, geez, we only got a couple of minutes left here. Anything that's uh, burning for you?
0: <laughs> why are you so hung up on the teams should pick their opponents format? Like I saw MLS, I guess, is doing that, right? Like you've always been an advocate yeah. for this. And, and I know that part Here's of it why. is – Well, hold on. I know part of it is your wide-eyed optimism that teams are going to be as passionate and creative as you are, even though they are steadfastly boring and conservative. But, but go on and tell me why you've always liked it, because that's my guess.
1: Because I like seeing things pushed to, like, decisions pushed to the extreme, and I like teams to be able, like, I, I like when people have their, like, when, when, when people are forced to make decisions as opposed to mm-hmm. just, you know, playing the field. So <laughs> I actually like the idea as well of if your player gets hauled down on a breakaway, you choose whether you want a power play or you want a penalty shot. I don't like it Mm. to be automatic. Mm -hmm. I want teams to choose because I like the idea of you become responsible for that. Mm. I do like that power play penalty shot. yeah. Yeah, take your pick, right? Like, yeah, sometimes, like, if, you know, you, got, you have a scrub that gets a, a breakaway and gets hauled down. Like, okay, you're going to put him at the dot? Great. That's awesome. I mean, eh, some teams will say, yeah, I'll take the power play instead. Thank you very much. Either because they want to try to kill the two minutes because it's late in the game. Or they have a better chance of scoring with their power play than fourth line left winger who every time he handles the puck, you'd swear it has corners. <laughs> um, So I like situations where, like, yeah, all the the, the pucks are rectangle on his stick. Um, I like situations of forced decisions. I I really do. I like it. I like it in in all aspects of my life. I like no. it in my everyday life, and I like it in my sports as well. Forcing decisions, and this one forces a decision, and then you have consequences that come along with it.
0: I right, love but it's that, but. But the decision's always going to be not to, not to t- just to play. It's going to always be to play but the seed don't... that you're seated to play. The, the, the sport, other professional hockey that, league though. tried this idea. We... And I think, I think there was one example of, of a team not playing the team that it was seated to play. And it, was, and it was the only time you're probably going to see somebody make this decision that you want them to make where they're not playing the team they're supposed to play. And that's because the, go- the goalie on the other team, the starting goalie on the other team was hurt. So they, they went and they instead of mm-hmm. playing like the seventh seed, the, the eighth seed, they played the seventh seed or something along those lines. I think that's the only time in the NHL you'd mm-hmm. ever see a team that is a top seed not play the lowest seeded team is if like the seventh seed lost their, their their number one center or their starting goalie or something like that. Then it becomes a conversation. Otherwise, they're just never going to put themselves on the line like that to make a, a, a call. Because like you said, you don't said, know but it. You, but but, you but you it's like you said that. in your tweet. But it's like you said in your tweet yesterday, Merrick. At the end of the day, if 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 you like you you are you are creating an emotional response from a lower seed, giving them even more incentive than they already have to beat you if you don't just play the person you're supposed to play. And so I, I just I just find yes. that to be like antithetical to what these teams want to do. And also the other thing too about this from a functional standpoint. Uh, we're always talking about the regular season and the lack of value placed on the regular season, especially when it comes to our higher seeds. And I know inherently you see this as creating value for teams to finish higher in the standing. So they have the ability to pick their opponent, but on the flip side, correct for those lower seeds, it doesn't matter if you finish seventh or eighth now, because you're going to play who the top seeds decide to play. So, Those last couple of games or that last couple of weeks of jockeying for position where, you know, a team is desperately trying to avoid, say, Boston in the first round, they don't matter anymore. So you're in a way devaluing the regular season, even as you think you're empowering the top seeds.
1: Mm, I don't know that really. I I don't really care about that. (laughs) Like, really, like, I I just, I just don't. That's because you're concerned about the the one. Fine
0: you're you're more so concerned fine. about the
1: top of the frame of, of, of the standings in the bottom so be be better or meet your fate called the Boston Bruins that's mm-hmm. it like I, again like I, I i like forcing forcing teams forcing people into a corner to to make them to make them decide and we don't know right we don't know with 100% certainty that every team would just choose the team that they were supposed to play just because of the obvious. Mm-hmm. But what do you think Toronto's decision would be as they stare down Tampa in the first round? Toronto's
0: decision would be to, like, somehow pay the league to get a buy <laughs> to the second <laughs> round. <laughs> like, we have, we have, like, several billion dollars in the hopper. Like, we can give you a, a bill and you can, you and have, you can get us to the
1: second round. You have a... a... A week's worth of conversation, like or maybe not a week, a, f- a few days' worth of conversation and build-up and hype and discussion about who a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, where the story has been, first round, flame, out. And, added spice, this year you have a general manager on an expiring contract and the belief that the sort of Damocles holds hangs over his head if they don't get out of the first round don't you think that they'll just choose the obvious one? Oh, oh we're supposed to play tampa well, so we're going to play good little soldiers here and face for, off against tampa in the first round I, instead I, of I, choosing a sure. team that barely made
0: it in but i i understand what you're saying but but they i mean let's be real like they they would not be in this format like they're the four seed everybody else will have been spoken for and they'll just play who's ever left But, I mean, if we were to say that, Mm -hmm. like, they were a higher seed and were slotted to play Tampa, uh, listen, Tampa eviscerated the Devils last night. So they obviously are still Tampa in some ways. But if you're Toronto and you can't get past this version of the Lightning, I don't know what to tell you. Like, uh, if it's... it's Oh, oh, listen, I
1: I agree with you on that. But here's the thing. I'm curious who, who actually makes a decision. Because we just all assume there would just be the general manager who would decide based on how they feel, but you don't think that there would be pressures from above, other team president, or maybe dare I say ownership? Like we're just assuming well, that these general managers would make the decision. I don't think that's true. So what's funny about that
0: what's funny about that is do you think that there might be some situations where an owner of a team that gets to choose their opponent might encourage that team to select an opponent that would maximize playoff revenue in the first round. (laughs) Um, How so? How could they? Okay. So, so you, you could have, first of all, you could have a team that might have a little bit more juice. Like for example, let's say Carolina slotted to play the Islanders. Okay. Or they could play the yeah. Penguins. You get Sidney Crosby coming to your building. Get the Penguins coming to your building. You maybe a little bit more juice there. On the flip side, I think, uh, I on don't flip side hold on. Hold how about on, this but me, how about the... Go ahead. Yeah. You know, I, I was going to say, I was gonna say uh, like, uh... what about the idea that the owner would pick a more difficult opponent because that maximizes the amount of home games they could have? Like maybe he doesn't want to sweep. Eh? Maybe he wants seven games. Maybe he it's wants fun. that extra playoff game at home in a first-round series or, to maximize revenue, but be confident or, that they can still get past the opponent.
1: Okay, how about this? How did I told you this one? It's yep. not the team that decides, but it's the TV rights holders. Hello, ESPN. Hello, Rogers. <laughs> So, you're saying that like our networks well, would we're conspire, just in fantasy land? Yes. Our networks yes.
0: would conspire and, and build out the card. You <laughs> might as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically what the playoff format is now. It's just like, let's give the, the networks all the red meat they can handle in the first round. By the way, I, I tweeted this out before, I but d- for all of the people that have been. You know, crowing about how the current wild card format is the same as the one through eight conference format, which has been the thing that's been in place for the last couple of months, mm-hmm. uh, no longer the case. The Rangers and the Leafs would play in a
1: one-eight format. Mm, okay. Here Let me ask you one more. Let me ask you one more question here. And we talked about this guy a lot last week. And I'll ask you one follow-up, and then I got a punch. So I got to do a couple of things here. Um, sure. What if you let one player from each team decide, and that player for the Boston Bruins was Brad Marchand?
0: <laughs> I, st- I still think they're going to pick the lowest seed, dude. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I, I outside of outside of a roster materially changing for the seven seed or the sixth seed before the playoffs. Yeah. You know, if if, if, if Sorokin yeah. gets hurt and they're the seven seed, I'm pretty sure Boston might play him. Right, but but if if Sorokin's healthy, th- they might just play the eight seed. Yeah, because it
1: has Jeff Carter on. Uh, this is for a bigger, <laughs> bigger <laughs> conversation. <laughs> we got to hit. Um, listen, good luck with your football team. I hope that you Thank get you. what you want, Greg. Uh, it, I really hope that your great, Jets. The great thing makes about being happy.
0: a Jets. The great thing about being a Jets fan is that even if they end up with Rogers the chances are good that both of his arms will fall off in week one. Blood will squirt out of the empty <laughs> arm cavity holes that he has and that Zach Wilson is oh still goodness. the quarterback by game oh two. Yeah. Uh,
1: and they say hockey has no poets. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I submit Greg Wyshynski from Thank ESPN. You. Um, Thank you. Thanks, bud. You'll be good. We'll talk in seven days. Anytime. Thanks. There he is, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Got to hit a quick break here. Back with random players. Z. What? Players? That's right. Random players of the day. I'll explain in a moment. Merrick show continues across the Sportsnet radio network. Back in a moment.